17 years of continuous travel by motorcycle comes to an end for To Ride the World's Simon and Lisa Thomas, as Lisa's health and then a pandemic change everything for these two riders. A few years back, they bought a home in Wales, but without even doing anything with it, they immediately hit the road again. After that, they were forced to return home to deal with Lisa's health issues, and then the pandemic hit, and they settled into the new home. So they spent the last two and a half years getting used to living under a solid roof again, with a wood door, glass windows, no flapping tent fabric, no inflatable mattresses, driving a pickup truck instead of a motorcycle, getting, well, comfortable. They have to wonder if that comfort of a home changes things for two travelers that have been on the road for that long. And they're both getting older. Simon is 51. Lisa just turned 60. And we all know how the body refuses to hold up under the demands of a younger you. I wanted to know how having a permanent home will change things for them, for life and for travel, and how getting older affects their travel decisions as they move forward. What will happen next? I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vince. Simon Pavey. Bill Bragoo. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. John Thomas. And this is Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. Simon and Lisa, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Hello, it's nice to be <laughs> Hello, back. Hello, Jen, how you doing? I'm doing well, and you guys are, are sitting where? Oh, um, we're sitting in a beautiful sunny Wales in a very small wooden cabin. Yep. This is your home. It's turned out to be, yes, not something that we ever planned. But we feel pretty lucky. I mean, we yeah, we. Uh, I think we mentioned this to you last time. We we came back for a few weeks um, to get Lisa some medical attention, and then COVID happened. And uh, yeah, we thought okay, it'll be in a few weeks, and a few weeks turned into a few months, and it's now been two and a bit years. Our motorcycle, our gear, everything we own is being taken care of by an exceptionally good friend of ours. Hello, David Mays. <laughs> yes, hello, um, David. <laughs> and we are, we're looking forward to getting back out to our bikes. But yeah, we've, we literally bought a small cabin inside Snowdonia National Park. Which, which is, is in a Wales. beautiful part of the world. And for the last two years, we've just been uh, keeping ourselves busy, uh, basically fantasising about getting back on the road and getting back to our lives. But in the meantime, enjoying tremendously what we have around us and the challenges that uh, keep popping up. How many years ago was it that you left? 
Uh, oh. The UK on our journey, gosh. 2003. Two, yeah, it was May 18th, 2003. Yeah. We set out from our from our UK home so to gosh. travel. Yeah, so next wow. May, 20 years. Is that right? So you, you said yeah. it, and that was, I think, you only were, you were planning being a couple of months. Yeah, 18 months about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we planned on a year, but we said we said to family and friends, you know, realistically, 14, 16, 16 months. And that was that was just based on budget. Yeah, mm-hmm. we had just about enough just. money for that. Almost um, ancient but, history now, isn't it? Like yeah. when you think back, I mean, that's a long time ago. It's hell of a long time. Do you know, I felt ago. like ancient history this morning. Did you? <laughs> well, you that happens like more. <laughs> that happens more as you get older. But, but so, so all those all those years on the road, your view of home totally changed. I know because I, I spoke to you when you were doing it, and yeah. you uh, the home was on the road, right? But but now yeah. you've sort of transitioned through these these events, which I, I want to talk to you about coming up, but. It's changed your home. It's changed your your life. I mean, you, you just finished telling me before we started recording here that you you know you've done all kinds of work outside the cabin. You've you've built little areas to sit and everything. How, how has that changed for you guys, or how has it changed you guys? That that whole thought process of home, not getting up in the morning in a tent, expecting to go somewhere, and your whole life being about riding the motorcycles. I've actually found it. In some respects, I've found it very difficult. I'm a restless soul. I like to be on the move um, and seeing different things and and have to be, um, my brain has to be active and pushed and I have to be tested. And so it's been very difficult, but there has been one side benefit to the fact that I've not been fit enough to travel and I know we're going to go into that in a bit more detail as well um so in some respects it's been very good that I have had a quieter time period um being stationed- well, do you, but do you have you I mean do you think you've struggled mentally more than yeah. I have yes. being stationary oh, absolutely yeah yeah I'm a butterfly I don't look like a beautiful butterfly, but I'm a one of these cabbage butterflies that lasts 24 hours. It's interesting because <laughs> one of the, one of the one of the reasons it's always fun having having this kind of conversation, Jim, is that we often find that one of us or both of us will say things out loud um, that we wouldn't do to each other. Yeah, I do. You just don't listen to me. Oh, there we go. But but this it has so, definitely been a challenge. So so the, the, this whole the, the home thing, Lisa in particular, this doesn't. Like, are you just uh, a type of person that is never going to be comfortable in a home? I mean, I mean, there has to be a point where I would think where this is going to come to an end and you're going to now, and in particular, because you have a home, you, you don't think you'll ever really fit into saying, yes, you know, this is my life now, or is it that you're resisting it? Now, that's a good question. <sighs> fit in knowing that I can get away maybe not on a permanent basis but leave to come back again and have a base to which to come back to because that's actually exci- maybe that's that exciting because that's, that's what we've way. not that's yeah. what we've not had in the last 20 years mm. it was never going to be this this monumentally never-ending journey that it ended up <laughs> ended up being and then obviously we had this pause a pause has turned into something else it's now been two years um I think I think both of us would struggle with the idea that 
this little cabin, beautiful as it is, is it? Um, is, is it? And we now have to fit back into some kind of routine. Uh, I mean, the reality is for both of us, I think, that 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 day after day, that being on the road, the travelling, the, the new experiences, where you learn about the world, where you're surprised by people, where you're never sure what's over the next horizon, where you're challenged every day, but also rewarded in so many ways. Um, that that literally is our drug of choice. Um, if, if I think if we didn't genuinely believe we can get back to our bikes and get back on the road, um, and this was it, you know, uh, nice as it is, that would be unbelievably difficult. I would go so far as to saying pretty unbearable. Um, we're we're enjoying where we're being because we have that anticipation of getting back out on the road. Is that because you're spoiled? Have you guys got spoiled on the road where you you just like? I mean, let's face it; it sounds very romantic, and, and I know it's not always romantic, but it certainly sounds romantic. <laughs> Are you just spoiled? Is that what it is? Or have you discovered something that the rest of us just don't get? I, I think for us, it's it's our fix. It's our drug. It's some people like to have um, adrenaline rushes and they go and jump out of planes or but, they they take other, like the Red Bull yeah, challenges, but you, but you et cetera. Know what? Let's go, let's go, but we've had this conversation, mm-hmm. I think it was last year. This is, I'm, not, I'm talking between Lisa and myself now. It's it's not as simple as it's our drug of choice. It's our fix. Um, it's it's an awful lot more than that. Uh, otherwise, there's no way we could be be traveling and have our mental health as good as it was. I think for almost twenty years. Um, this is going to sound somewhat cliche, but I genuinely mean this. Um, Lisa and I have had long conversations where we have said out loud. When we are traveling, when we are on the road, um, we feel relaxed. We, when we're on our motorcycles, traveling somewhere new, even if we do not know where we're going to be at the end of each day, um, we may be challenged, we may be dehydrated, we may be exhausted, um, but we're happy in our own skins. Um, we are, we are relaxed. Um, we are, we are happy. And I think all of us are looking just for, those moments of happiness, happiness, those single moments of joy. And the bottom line for us is that we have more of those moments um, when we're on the road, on our bikes. Um, life sometimes is so much simpler while, while you're traveling. I think that's it. For me, there's a lot less stress. I know that sounds very strange. Um, I find it very difficult to cope with everyday modern stresses concerns um paying the bills and figuring out oh my god there's nothing in the fridge and i find it very difficult to cope with that but put me in the middle of a desert and stick me in a tent i can cope with that even if even if even if the consequences are much more extreme yes because bearing in mind that if you say well i you know I have a hard time dealing with the mundane, being the paying, the paying of the bills, etc. Mm. That does make us sound somewhat spoiled because no one likes paying. <laughs> no one likes paying bills. No, I know. Yeah. I know that. I know everyone. Every, nobody needs to pay bills anymore. Well, no. And Lisa, what you're saying really is, is the reason people like to go camping. In my mind, that's what I always think yeah. is that people like to go camping because they do escape from those things. They they do escape yes. from just those simple responsibilities, and and um, it, yeah. it makes life very simple. It really does. You break it down to the necessities what, of life. I think what kills us, and I think what I think. What can actually be quite harmful um, 
to almost everybody is is routine. Routine that does not challenge you. Routine where, you know, you, you, you might find some things that you do throughout your day difficult, but if you're doing them again and again and again and again and again, and you're not and you're not challenged, you're not pushed out of your comfort zone. And I know I, I know over the last you know twenty years, um, as the ADV market especially has really blossomed, you know you you can't move through a library without reading a book about comfort zones and what is adventure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But choosing to challenge yourself, choosing to become a uh, a better person choosing to push your skill set in a new direction mm. because you are doing something that you do not find easy. Yeah, but that that usually is not comfort though, because you guys are saying it's more comfortable on the road. That that is usually, I mean, let's face it, you're out of your comfort zone. That's usually yes. yeah. a, a point where where people feel that um, they they get worn out from it. But what you're saying is you're almost more relaxed by it. Yes. Yes. Isn't that and it is, isn't that isn't that strange? And the lucky thing is, we both feel the same. We like we. I think I think it just comes down to, on an individual basis, we like ourselves in our own skin more, as people, as the people we're tr- striving to be when we're on the road, when we're travelling, when we're dealing with extreme circumstances. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's an immense. There's a there's a sense of. Um, just wonder and reward, mm. um, even in the even after the crappiest day has come to an end, there's that sense of, wow, look what we have done today, look what we've achieved, look what we've learned. Look I think at it this. is the sense of reward at yeah. the end of the day that I don't really feel when I'm just stationary here. Yeah, mm. is part of it some sort of social responsibility? I mean, you know, I'll use the example of. Uh, this is probably a bad example, but I'll use the example of, a, let's say, a kid that, that acts out and acts bad. Uh, and, you know, people will say, well, that's just Johnny. And Johnny continues to act bad because that's what's expected of him. And so it's probably a poor example. But, but in any case, so you guys are travelers. You've been travelers. Your whole life has developed around travel. People expect you to be travelers. Now to say that, oh, Simon and Lisa are now cabin dwellers, it, <laughs> does that take away from who you are? I mean, you have to reinvent yourself, which I know you've done somewhat. It, I don't think it really fully explains us, um, cabin dwellers. Hey, it's better, it's better, it sounds quite hey, derogatory. It's better, it's better than cave dwellers. <laughs> well, I'm a cabin dweller too, so I mean, I, I didn't mean that in a pejorative sense. <laughs> I I don't think it's I don't think it's a problem for us. I know that I know that some people, um, some of the people that follow us on social media, um, and some of our friends around the world, I know it has been a challenge for them because you know, as a species, we do like to pigeonhole people. Um, and so even though yeah. Lisa and I may have had a, a, different, a different set of life choices, it is easier for, for friends and, and, and even family to pigeonhole us. Oh, well, they're the travellers. And we still get emails today uh, and comments on social media. You know, hey, guys, what, what the hell? Um, hasn't the world opened back up? Um, why aren't you back on the road yet? And so we have to button our lips because obviously the response we want to give is generally quite curt. Mm-hmm. But the response yeah. is something on the lines of, Dude, it's not opened up. Uh, there are other issues. Uh, we had 20 years of traveling. We have to pay for this ourselves. And for two and a half years, um, our, our, our revenue streams that were all linked, um, even though some of it was very vague, vaguely linked to travel, they just stopped. 
there is no magic money tree where we go out and pull off a couple of grand and um, and get back on the road. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I actually, I had somebody that had been following us on our website. I met him recently, about, I don't know, four or five months ago. And this this guy came up to us. Um, he's now a friend. Um, I knew him by reputation. He said, hey, I, I wanted to owe you, owe you an apology. And I said, oh, really? Actually, this is perfect. Mm-hmm. He would he listened to the last time we were on your show, and he said, "Yeah, I've been I know, I've known you you guys for ages, um, but I got the wrong end of the stick. Um, I got, I thought you were fully sponsored and were on uh, on the easy gravy train. I didn't realize you were paying for your own travels." And I said, "Well, thank you very much for coming over and actually just you know, saying he didn't, I had he to did, apologize. Yeah. He didn't need to say anything. Yeah. I didn't know he thought any of that stuff. It's in, it's interesting, but today, um." We don't reinvent ourselves for anything other than necessity um, because, you know, you do still need to put food on the table. You still need to pay bills. You still need to get through your day. Um, and therefore, we have had to, to a very large degree, um, refocus our our efforts, our energy uh, and, get, and get excited about something new whilst we wait to, come, to get back on the road. Well, by buying this cabin that you're living in now, which has really been your salvation over the past couple yeah, of years, it really has yes. been. And, and by buying that, though, you've actually created kind of a problem for yourself for travel <laughs> as well, because now it's an expense that you need to worry about. I mean, all the things to do with homeownership, whether you're worrying about insurance or whether it's there still yeah. or uh, the maintenance yeah. while you're gone. Do you rent it? Do you keep it? Uh, you know, all those problems that mm-hmm. you've sort of created for yourself if you head back out on the road again now. Yes. Although it's interesting, well, I'd say I would say no. Well, no, there there is part of that, and it will be in my mind. We are very lucky in that this can run on such a low figure every single month. Um, that it's not going to be it's not going to be that much of a. a it's not going to be a mental or a no, financial drain. No, it's still going to be a bit more of a drain. However, we have to take into account that we're getting older uh we need to have a base we would have needed wait, wait, to have we're had getting a base. Older? yeah we're getting older did somebody have a birthday recently yeah we did no we're not talking about that um that um that we would have had to have had a base at some point even though we were traveling we we were still we were thinking about having a base it just hadn't got to that stage and then the pandemic happened and it forced our hand um but i actually think that it was a it was a you can't say a pandemic is a good turn of events because it, it hasn't been for so many people. But in that respect, for us, it forced us into his decision of getting a base, which I think is necessary. That is an interesting point that you just made about, about because what you said was you always knew that you're going to need a base. And now we, we get talking to people here who, who sold everything to go traveling and say, well, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I'm going to do. But with that thought process of knowing you're going to need a base without like, I mean, cause you guys said, have said you got lucky finding this place and buying this place. If that had not happened, you could have really been in a in a bit of a fix there, trying mm-hmm. to find a place as you age when you come back. And I, I'm just sort of bringing this up as I'm thinking of it because yeah. I think a lot of people deal with this thing of where hearing people sell everything and head out on on the adventure, mm-hmm. and there's got to be some sort of exit strategy by by what yes, you're saying. Yes, there has there. to be. Yeah, yeah, there has to be. Um, well, no. For some, there doesn't have to be. Um, some some have. There uh, doesn't have to be as long as you are genuinely willing to deal with the con. I mean, everything has consequence, and it, I th- and I think also, the, I think the danger. You. It, it, there's there's 
not there's not very many people out there that have sold absolutely everything. Some people have kept aside a little something, um, whether it be a a large camper van which they can return to or a lean-to on their parents' home or a second home. Uh, we may have had some other traveller friends that have sold the main home, but they still had a small holiday home to use. Um, we, we actually did sell absolutely everything, but there comes a point when you go, oh God, I'm turning 60. I have nothing other than my motorcycle and a tent. What happens in five years' time? Do I still want that life day in, day out when I'm 65? Maybe my health isn't as good as it is. Um, what happens when I'm 70? And so on that's and so just, on. But that's just risk assessment. Yes, and I think our whole lives have been risk assessment over the last 20, 20 years. years. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, but the thing is with that is that you, you can expect certain things to happen. We know as we age and it becomes more of a reality to us as we get older that the body takes certain turns and things basically start to fall apart. <laughs> so you know you're yeah. going to have to deal with that as you get older. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure as it seems realistic to think that you're going to just stay on the road. I mean, I guess mm. it's possible you could work it, but it's certainly not very convenient. I mean, the people that I know that have that have done that sort of, sort of lifestyle, when they've gotten older, they end up either staying with somebody, they end up basically having to find a place to stay, right? Yeah. As, as, as it gets to that point. Mm. So there's a definite end there that you have to deal with it, that you, as we said, you know, you, you sort of have to plan an exit strategy. And the reason I'm saying this is because I think sometimes with adventure motorcycling, we almost, all of us, we, we sort of sell this dream talking about, and not necessarily telling people to do it, but talking about people who sell everything and just basically throw all the chips in and head out on the road. But as you get older, that that path narrows. And, and I think it yeah. sort of does force you into thinking of what, just just what you guys have done. Had you not ran into that deal with this place, you, like I said, you, you you could be stuck. I'm, I'm sure you would have worked it out. I know you would have because you, you, you guys are that type of people. But I mean, there's, uh, there's the real estate boom that we've seen now. If people sold right before this and headed out, the real estate boom has shot up so much so that in, in mm-hmm. most places where it's, it's, it's unaffordable. Yes, it, that has happened here, actually, in the UK, and especially where we are in Wales, we've noticed that. Um, had we been thinking about purchasing now, now. Uh, we wouldn't be able to. Mm-hmm. It, it's totally, totally out of our price range. Well, it was out of our price range initially when we bought it, and that's why um, I love my mother dearly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just just going back a stage, I think it's important just to underpin some of those comments in that you, you can stay on the road for as long as you want. You, you can do all that stuff, no matter how old you get, as long as you have a a crazy surplus of cash. But if you live, if you live anywhere near the, the real world where, you know, you just don't have a pot of gold, then yeah, time, age, health, all of those things come into play. Um, I mean, I, I, I remember really, I remember very, very uh, clearly, uh, we were with uh, a bunch of other travellers. Um, actually, we were in the States, we were, di- we were giving a talk and it was one of those inspirational things where everyone's trying to be very inspirational and Lisa and I are very, very passionate about convincing people to get, you know, push past their comfort zones and get out and travel. Um, I, think we, I think we grow as people. But I remember we, we gained some very odd looks from the other from the other um adventurers because we were the only ones saying 
no, do not sell it all. No, don't buy into this so wholeheartedly that you don't give yourself some kind of safety net. Now, that might sound strange, bearing in mind that Lisa and I are saying that, oh, that's what that's we did. What we did. <laughs> but I think it's also important to, to, to pick up on the point that in the, when we set out, we had a we had a UK home. Uh, we rented it out. Um, the fact that the fact that prior to buying the cabin in Wales, um, the fact that we had nothing was because we sold things off and we 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 adapted on a piecemeal basis over the course of almost two decades. Um, I don't think it's a great idea to have this fantastic dream. It doesn't matter what the dream is and to commit so wholeheartedly before you've really yeah, put your toe in the water that does that that that's just that doesn't make sense mm-hmm. um i mean if you've, if you've got if you've got um if you've got things you can sell in a year's time in six years time in 10 years time if you're still doing whatever the thing is that floats your boat um but to commit and go and go um go into it full steam at 100 110% at the beginning um that's it's, yeah, we did not just, do that. No, I guess foolish. it depends on how you do it too, because the thing is yeah. what you guys did was you set out for, you sold everything off, which you're telling people not to do, but you sold everything off with a plan of 18 months or something. And at the time, had you returned in 18 months, even if you were broke, you could have started back up again and, and got mm-hmm. back on thing. I mean, that that is not a bad approach if that's what you want to do. And you know that when you get back, you can hit the ground running and, and you can, you know, bootstrap yourself and, and get yourself back into, into position however you want to be in life. You know, had you, had you stuck to that you you would have that would have been a good plan we would have had a home to come back to I me mean, we 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 kept we kept our uk home i mean so that's what i'm saying we did not sell we did not sell everything to head out the door we oh i see that was UK in your original home. plan right i forgot yeah. about that yeah. yeah so we so so we sold absolutely everything that we possibly could but we kept the home and we rented it out it only got to the two year period that we went no three years was it three years? yeah we were in south america we were looking at selling before that. It took that long to sell. Yeah. Um, that we went, we now do not want to return. We can never see ourselves returning to that life in that home, which is what we originally thought. Oh, we just mm. go straight back in after 18 months, two years, straight back into Kick the, the home. Take the renters out. And, and, <laughs> and start off again. And yes, we'd buy new furniture, but hey, you know, things change, tastes change. Um, we left some basic elements there for renters, but we knew we'd have to replace things if we came back. So we hadn't really made that decision when we left. We were going to slot back into our lives, but then the decision came now this is it we're fully committed and we'd made the decision we do not think we will ever come back to the uk to live <laughs> <laughs> oh. who, knew, who knew there was going to be a pandemic <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what did you think you were going to do find a country that was inexpensive to live in was that yeah yeah yeah, North, Northern Colombia is absolutely spectacular. Good parts of South America are stunning. Great people. Um, the Yucatan Peninsula. Um, or Mexico in general. Mexico generally yeah. is just spectacular. Um, great standard of living. Uh, great weather. Inexpensive. Good health care. Yeah. That's a, it's, it's a great idea. And I always, I always think that, you know, the, the people who, who can do that, it's, it's really wonderful. But what about the isolation factor? The fact that you're, you know, you're not going to have your friends and family around, at least not the, the ones that you've had from back home. How, how does that play into that thought process? They'd, they'd come and see us. 
That's all. <laughs> wow. <laughs> there was visit. no hesitation. <laughs> See them? But the thing is, you know, they're going to get older and they're going to be a point where they're not going to want to travel, not be able to travel. I mean, all those sorts of things. Yes. Jim, Jim, let me give you, give you a real simple answer, Jim. Um, all those things are, they are things. Um, at some though, and I think Lisa and I have become fairly pragmatic. Although they are considerations, I think if you let those things define your day-to-day choices, then we would just be living in a cave, um, making the most, making the safest choices possible. Um, you can always make new friends. The real friends that have been lifelong friends, um, you will find a way for them to come to you or for you to go to them. Um, family, family, friends, love. Um, I, I don't think these are things that should be leveraged, should we, leveraged to the yes, point where, no, I can't make the choices I want to make because I, I, ha- I have to do the safe thing and stay here. Um, uh, talking about ageing family, yes, of course, parents ageing. My father passed away when we were on the road. Um, a terrible time period. But um, I've since spoken to my mother and she said, but you, I never expected you to come back. I said, yes, but, you know, you're knocking on a bit now, aren't you? It's nice to have me around. And she said, well, yes, it is. But I would still be happy for you if you were out on the road. She would come and see us if she could. Now I don't think she she could fly or anything on her own. Um, but she would accept that, knowing that we were happy doing what we wanted to do and where we wanted to be. And we would and we would we would put facilities in place. We would put money aside. We would do whatever we needed to do to make sure that you know a couple times a year, at least once a year, we would come back and and see family and friends. Bearing bearing in mind, I think it's so important to keep some perspective. I've got friends of mine who have never left the UK um, who don't keep in contact with any of their friends at school, live in the same country yeah, as their as their parents and never see them. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. take just a quick break while I tell you about a couple things but when we come back Lisa's going to talk about how her health went down to a point where she was forced to return home and um, sort of reconsider life as they know it stay with us Overland Expo is huge and coming this July 8 to 10 2022 at the Deschutes County Expo Center in Bend Oregon is the PNW event, the PNW Overland Expo. They've done such an amazing job at, at making this this huge event. And for us motorcyclists, it's the place you need to be. They've got so many vendors and exhibitors, not to mention a host of presenters and, and overlanders of all walks. Matter of fact, if you just go to their website, overlandexpo.com, look at the PNW link, and you, you can't help but get excited just looking at the list of things they have going on. There's so much to do. They've, they've got MESA, what they call MESA, which is the... the the Motorcycle Expedition Skills Area. There you're going to find Bill Dragoo. You've, you've heard Bill here on our Rider Skills Program. And he has his team of riding instructors there to do off-road instruction. That would be well worth the weekend alone. Um, they also have a beginner program, which I think is kind of neat. Because if you have somebody with you that 
maybe they're a little interested in motorcycling, but they're not really sure. Well, they have a whole team there that's set up to take people who have never been on a bike and get them on their first ride. That is very cool. They also have the the Moto Dinner Party, which I think they do at all the Overland Expos, and they've got giveaways there. Um, just just a whole bunch of fun and a whole bunch to see. And you're and you're right in there with all kinds of people who are already travelers. If you're interested in traveling, so there's so much information there. And I did mention the uh, the vendors as well. There's uh, places where you can get all kinds of gear for your bike and all in one location. Absolutely amazing. Overlandexpo.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Overland Expo this July 8th to 10th at the Deschutes County Expo Center in Bend, Oregon. When we're riding a motorcycle, we need to stay hydrated, energized, and alert. And just stopping for a few minutes on the side of the road is usually enough to handle those requirements. Have a snack, have something to drink, maybe do some push-ups, and then you're good for, you know, so many more miles going down the road. But when it comes to getting cold feet, that's not so easy to remedy because once they're cold, it's almost impossible to get your feet warm again, especially on the side of the road. The real trick here is to not let them get cold in the first place. And the best way I found to do this is by having great socks. The best sock I've ever tried for any outdoor activity. And before doing this podcast full time, I was doing wilderness trips. So I have plenty of experience with this, with staying warm and figuring out ways to to do that. The best cold weather socks I've ever tried, ever, out of all the socks I've tried, is Pearly's Possum Socks. These socks are made of a, a perfect blend of merino wool and possum fur. They're weaved together in a pattern that is designed just for us motorcyclists, particularly if, if you wear motorcycle boots. Man, these are these are dead on for them. The owners of Pearly's are also avid adventure motorcycle riders, so you know when you're dealing with them, you're dealing with one of us when you order your socks. The website is pearlyspossumsocks.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. And by the way, we've made them the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio, not because of their ads, has nothing to do with that. It's just because I love these socks. I really do for all outdoors activities. Pearlyspossumsocks.com. Yeah, so um, pre-COVID, you know, a few years back, you guys were, I think, probably about 18 years on the road at that point, something like that, 17, 18 years <laughs> on the yeah. road. That's a long time. That's, that's quite a lifestyle. And you developed it into, like you said, living, working on the road. You developed it into, into a business so that you can keep going, which is obviously the smart thing to do for anyone who wants to travel. I mean, and it's something you really want to think of ahead of time. Can you actually do the make money on the road thing, which I think you guys would, would agree that it's very, very difficult mm-hmm. to do what you're doing uh, and be successful at it. You might be further ahead to, you know, have your rental home or something like that at home that's going to bring in some money or a business set up somewhere, something you invest in when you're on the road. But there you guys are, 18, say 18 years on the road. And things change somewhat, not only because of COVID, but because of Lisa's health. Can you set that up and talk about how that came about? Um, well, I'm not sure many people know that part of the reason for us commencing the journey was due to my health. That might sound a bit cockeyed, but my father had a quadruple heart bypass and open heart open surgery heart at surgery, 60. Yeah, at 60 years old. Um, a friend of ours uh, suffered from cancer and she was pregnant at the time. Simon had a very bad motorcycle accident, and we decided that they were the catalysts for us deciding to go on a journey, which may sound very weird. Um, you were told. You were told point blank. So basically, Lisa, let me just let me just let me just yeah. 
chipping it. So Lisa was um, Lisa was diagnosed with a number of very similar problems as as, to, as her late father in her late teens. Um, it's always funny when people say to us, "Oh, you're so lucky to be traveling because obviously you've got tons of money and no health issues." And typically, we just don't, we just we just smile because 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 they, mm. they, they don't they don't really mean it. Um, you know, normally it's a normally it's a throwaway comment. It's not not part of a deeper conversation. So we we, we just nod and smile. Um, but what people don't realize is that half of one of Lisa's metal panniers is nothing but medication. One of the biggest challenges we've had over the last 20 odd years is actually just getting the medication that we need to keep Lisa alive. So she was diagnosed in her late teens. And again, it's not for everybody, but Lisa and I made some pretty calculated decisions where we assessed the risk of one of us, but primarily Lisa, getting seriously ill, um, potentially, you know, being hospitalised or passing away, versus defining our own reality, getting out on the road and and living the life that we felt we deserved. Um, Sorry, you said Lisa was diagnosed with what? Well, a number a number of the same coronary heart issues that uh, affected her father. Her father. Mm. So um, you've got chronic arrhythmia, um, arterial fibrillation, um, left bundle branch block. Which is in itself is not really a problem, but when it's combined with other elements. I have um, basically have always had uncontrolled hypertension despite a, a load of medications. With the combination of all of those together and high cholesterol, for God knows what reason that is, um, I, I have a high probability of stroke. Um, and it well, before was, uh, we came back, the biggest problem is you couldn't get out of bed because your resting heart rate just mm-hmm. dropped for no no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. To what was it, 37? 37 beats per minute. Now, bearing in mind, if you're oh, in yes. hospital and your heart rate drops down to the 32, the 33, they call in the crash team. Well, it was... Um, this is to, just yeah. to put this in, in perspective. So this mm. this is what we're talking about back in two thousand, uh, what two thousand twenty? Um, well, this this well this was actually in two thousand and three, just before we left. Um, they wanted to give me a pacemaker before I left, and I said no, which actually I still to this day think was correct at that time period. The advances that have gone on in, in the in in medicine now, if somebody had said to me now have a pacemaker, um, I would probably say yes. But we're talking 20-odd years ago. Um, So for me, at that point, it was the right decision. But things began to get bad probably about eight years ago. Um, I would have periods of time where I would have five days or so Unable to in the tent, in the unable tent, to move. unable to move, unable to uh, to get a proper heartbeat. It very erratic all of the time, going from very lows, what Simon has just described about thirty seven beats, um, right the way up to two hundred and ten, and then dropping again. Well, um, whilst you're led down, doing yeah. doing absolutely nothing. So her lips were turned blue, and basically just yeah, just just couldn't operate. And um, and it would become more frequent. Invariably, I wouldn't go to the hospital because insurance won't cover long-standing medical issues. Um, that has to be incredibly stressful to be dealing with that in a foreign country, in a tent, with very little resources, and knowing yes. that you, you can't go to get medical help. Well, if, if it came to the point where I would 
pass out, which happened a few times, and I'd always come around quite quickly. But if it got to the point where it, it was um, to the point where, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to be able to come around, or my heart rate was just drop, drop, dropping all the time, Simon would have had to have taken me to hospital, and we'd have had to deal with it somehow um but i would always come out of it um but it was becoming more and more frequent um we were able to gauge it we have been dealing with this for long enough to know when you go from that kind of risky scary section into the okay now it's actually serious and potentially Mm life-threatening and that and that is that is actually one of the reasons why you know we orchestrated things so that we could come back to the uk what two and a bit years ago for what we thought was going to be eight weeks so we had four weeks of medical procedures lined up so talk about Um, that so how how does that happen like what, what what precipitates that that plan to to go back to the uk for the eight weeks um, Lisa not being able to get out of bed and yeah. continuously passing out. So this was, this was a new instance of, of, yeah. a, of yeah. an old thing you've been dealing with, but it yeah. got yeah. much worse. Talk about that, though. And did. more frequently. Um, well, I'm lucky in that I have family who are in the medical profession and they've told me for quite a long time that I'm pushing it and I need to get it sorted, et cetera, et cetera, and I'm running a high risk. Um, it took me many years to actually realised that they do know what they're talking about. Um, And we had made a decision because it had become more and more frequent. I was unable to, I was unable to keep my fitness up, which was affecting my riding um, and my ability to do the constant, what I call heavy duty off-road riding with a a heavy motorcycle. I was unable to cope with uh, extremes of heat. Um, and, and it was just affecting what I call my day job. So we'd made a decision to come on back. Um, and I'd connected with some, um, cardiac consultants. We'd had it all laid out and we came back just for a short period of time so I could commence, um, a little bit more, uh, research into the way to go forwards for me. As it happened when we came back, um, a few months after we instigated that research, uh, the pandemic happened. And we both caught COVID. And we both caught COVID and that was it. I was forced to stay here, but there was a silver lining in that I was able to complete um, the procedures that they had commenced during that, what I thought was going to be a short time period here. You were in Mexico before this? Yeah. Yes. So, so yeah. you're in Mexico and you're dealing with this. You go back yeah. to the UK. This is just before COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So you get there. Then you decided to buy the place though. So that had to be that part of that thought process of you're dealing with this problem. No, here's the, here's the really, here's the really weird part. No, the place we're in, we'd come back for two weeks the year before. Again, medical. Again, medical. And that was part of the process of getting this new thing lined up. We actually bought it a year before. The we pandemic, we yeah. picked the keys up 45 minutes before jumping on a plane oh, and flying right. back out. <laughs> so, so, so and, and right, and when you bought that, it was almost a bit of a lark. You guys looked at it and you thought, you know, we'd like to buy this. You left a note sort of thing and, and they contacted yeah. you. That's what happened, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so, then we, so yeah, we picked up the keys and left. And um, I don't think they really thought that, well, what are these people doing? We're like, no, we've got to have the keys. We're leaving, we're leaving the country now. And I think, 
they thought it was just one of those what people say in order to do completion of a transfer of a property, etc. But no, we really were, and we gave the. Keys. It wasn't. It wasn't. I mean, we were away for eleven months, and then yeah. we then we came back on this visit for this eight weeks just prior to COVID. It wasn't eleven months. Hang on a minute. And April, suddenly we April, luckily we well we we, we had a project. It was nine months. Nine months. It was nine months, and then we came back nine months later, and. Um, started the medical stuff and with an aim to get back on the road and then that's when we contracted covid yes you guys have had some long-term effects with this yeah yeah, yeah uh, me, me me especially um sam has been whole... suffering from long covid yeah um and that's I, I that's that's been a that's been a big challenge um largely based on i i am that annoying optimist my glass is always half full Leases is half empty, and oh look, it sprung a leak. But <laughs> suddenly, suddenly, uh, my my breathing, I, I my breathing's all over the place. Um, I'm getting what feels like panic attacks. I'm dizzy, very low mood, um, the uh, no ability to concentrate, which I can normally do. You're for, like a menopausal woman, weren't you? I apparent, <laughs> apparently so. Um, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't even dealing with any of that after my after my motorcycle accident. So this was all very new for me and, and quite a challenge. Um, and then we got COVID again, what, four months ago? Wow. Yeah, about four months ago. How did you get it yeah. again? I went, I went out on a photographic job, on a shoot, uh, to photograph a bunch of off-road riders. And uh, one, of those, one of those guys said, here, <laughs> have some COVID. <laughs> and it was nowhere near as bad as the first time. But again, not me for six in terms of mm -hmm. energy and just drive and focus mm -hmm. and breathing. And we were getting fit at that point. We'd really come out the other side and I'd been... Um, Your health has been uh, getting my better, health and been better and better. My health has been getting better and better. And I was able more. to yeah, get back onto a bit more of a focused fitness regime and doing very well and then bam, hit again. But just to bring this full circle, Jim, I think I think a lot of I think a lot of people um, we talk about luck. We talk about oh, is, didn't this work out great? I think to a large extent we we control our own luck based on how you look at something. So we came back thinking eight weeks, COVID happened, absolutely destroyed the lives of people around the world. But again, perspective wise. As it turns out, we've had a year and a half of fantastic treatment, not eight weeks, a year and a half of treatment for Lisa. Her health is now better than it has been in 30 yes. years. Yeah. Um, she's able to exercise at a fairly high level. So, for example, yesterday, um, yesterday we went out and did a 16-mile walk and then came back and trained. There is absolutely no way Lisa would have been able to do that over the last 10, 15, 20 years, even, even even with the riding. I couldn't even make a bed without having to lie on it halfway through because I was just exhausted and my heart rate would be all over the place. What, what did they do um, to fix you? Oh, this is an interesting one, actually. They um, froze and killed it, parts yeah, of your heart. Yeah, they did. It um, I scary. had um, a cryoablation. Um, prior to having that, um, I did have an episode where I was taken into A and E, and the accident and emergency. Um, yeah, accident and emergency, sure and they. Um, you know when somebody's heart stop and they put the electric pads on you and they zap you and they bring your heart back into life. Mm -hmm. I had uh, something like that. It's not quite the same because my heart hadn't stopped, but it was, I think it got down to 28 beats a minute, erratic. 
Um, that's when they, I don't know if they call it the crash team, but anyway, somebody they came in with the pads and they kind of zapped it back into some kind of rhythm. Um, and that's when it was decided that I needed this cryoablation um, because the the electric circuitry of the heart wasn't working properly. And so they go in and they find out where there's a misfire or a lack of a connection um, and they kill it. They destroy that section. So the heart is then forced. I know this is probably somebody listening to this who, who knows what they're talking about. We're going, oh, that's not quite right. But <laughs> the way I had it described to me. They, um, this would normally have been done via open surgery. So they went in through Lisa's groin catheters up to the heart. Sorry. And quite mm. literally what they're doing is they are freezing um, parts of the heart that are scarred or dead. Or, or just not working, or just not functioning working. properly. Uh, they found four major areas uh, which they uh, zapped, as I said, and uh, cryoblasted. And so many years ago, this would have been done um, by open heart surgery. But these days, the microsurgery that they, they, they have done, it, it's just incredible. Um, so, yes, um, it took me a little while to recover from that. Um, it's a very strange feeling. They've also changed and upgraded your medication pretty significantly because mm. the medication you've been on for the last 20 years has been pretty pretty outdated. But that was, again, out of choice because the latest and greatest medication... I can't always we get. Just, just couldn't find. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that's making me feel an awful lot better. Mm. So feeling better. We're going to take a quick break. Afterwards, though, Lisa's going to talk about the ways that things have changed for her after going through that episode with her health. And then we're going to talk about the fact that Lisa and Simon are both getting older and how that affects travel decisions in the future. And then what are their plans? Where are they going to go with this? Stay with us. RoadDogPub.com is your gateway to motorcycle adventure travel books. Road Dog Pub is the publisher of a slew of motorcycle travel books, including all kinds of well-known names that you already know. They've got new books coming out all the time, so, so bookmark that website, RoadDogPub.com. Now, mind you, you can get their books anywhere. At, at, most, at most, I would say, are all quality bookstores. They've got a new one coming out by... Um, Tom Router called The Tom Report. And it's about uh, two guys riding DR650s from Washington to Argentina and uh, all the, the uh, misadventure they get into and the adventure they get into and the, all the people they meet up with on the journey. Another one they have coming out is Chasing Northern Lights by Miguel Oldenburg. He's a Venezuelan who now lives in the U.S., the story is about how he went about learning about his new home and the people uh, on a ride from New York to Alaska. And uh, I think that book is either coming out very soon or has just been published now. All Road Dog Pubs, as I said, are available at fine bookstores. You can contact the publisher directly by going to the website, roaddogpub.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there, you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, roaddogpub.com. Why should you replace your stock foot pegs with IMS products foot pegs? Answer, because it's going to improve your control of your motorcycle. Your pegs are your connection to the bike, period. And quality pegs like IMS makes are specifically designed for us adventure riders, offering us more traction, more leverage, and better control. Do yourself a favor, try IMS. They've got a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs from the large ADV-1 and ADV-2 on down to the Core Enduro. All made in the USA, all warranted for life. IMSproducts.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com.
So it sounds like you guys are, are sort of um, off on like a high energy again. Has this not sort of made you think more about, <laughs> I don't want to say mortality, but aging and, and slowing <laughs> down and changing no, things? quite the opposite. <laughs> it's, thought, it's, it's made me think about aging. Um, slowing down, no, because I have so much more energy than I did 10 years ago, eight years ago. Um, aging, yes. Um, I've just celebrated. Celebrated, is that the correct term? You opened enough, um, sh- we opened enough bottles with bubbles. Yes, yes. we celebrated. Um, my 60th birthday. Um, 60. So that's, yes. a, that's a landmark for you. Mm, yes, very much so. When I turned 30, I, I first met Simon when I just turned 30. And it's the first birthday he took me out on a date. You sulked yeah. the entire night. I did night. Now, not. Now, Simon's younger than you. You you were 30. He was, oh, what, yeah. 17? No. Oh, just say yes. That is awesome. Just say yes. You, you just turned 21. 21. <laughs> just, yeah. yeah. And, um, I thought I was 21. I met you. Yeah. And it, it was, I don't know, I didn't want to be 30. Why do I want to be 30? And then suddenly I'm like, oh, my God, I'm 60. Where did that 30 years just go? Just like I think that. I think 60 was a big one because yeah. we we're thinking about parents more, eh, because obviously they're in the, we're in the same country. But also, Lisa, it suddenly dawned on, on both of us, but Lisa especially, that when we thought, when we thought her father was in his most senior years and undergoing, you know, open heart surgery for this heart issue. He was 60. He was only 60 because 60 doesn't feel, you know, we, neither of us, neither, neither of us feel, you know, early fifties and 60. And I'm sure everyone that's, <laughs> everyone says that. But the fact that Lisa was turning the same age as her father was when he had his surgery. Um, yeah, there's a few moments of, of wow when mm-hmm. when did that happen and um and i'm so lucky that i was here to have all of the medical attention and and superb med- medical attention that i've had here very rapid um and to to have that here in the uk had i been abroad somewhere um i don't know it, it, it's a possibility i might not be here yeah, I mean, if yeah. finance financially for us, it wouldn't have been possible to have to have picked up the same level of medical care and attention um, privately. That you know, well, it uh, wouldn't abroad. be covered no. on any insurance. No, for it one wouldn't. Thing, so. Listen to what Lisa just said. If, if you were on the road in a different spot, yeah, you may not have made it. And, yes, and you still want to head out again. Yes, yes, but, and there is a but, I have now come to the decision that it is not something I can do as we have done. I think I have to be sensible in them getting older. Wait, you have to be what, sorry? Who to what? Wow, you heard it here, folks. I'm getting older. I have to take into account that I need, I need to be able to see a consultant for a review it would be very... But also, neither of us actually want to be out on the road full-time. We don't... That was never the, that was never the plan. And the idea of coming back here and sharing sharing our travels with friends and family firsthand, being able to sit down at a laptop and 
and, and know that the battery is not going to run out and actually create a video or or share the experience that's yeah. that's pretty awesome it's something we've never had i think uh, and the pandemic brought all of that forward i think it would have happened so at I. some point i think we were heading that way and uh, i think me uh, not feeling well and having to get treatment and pandemic happening i think it just forced our hand a little sooner but i do think it would have happened i agree i think actually being being so ill um it really did change my mindset suddenly i realized that did it change it or did, did you, were you forced to confront a reality oh, probably forced to confront it because you being ill scares the living but jesus out of me more than yeah. anything else we've ever faced well it's something you can't control isn't it I mean, nothing is worse That's than it. being so helpless yeah. And that's exactly how I how I felt because it's not my field of expertise, and and all the all the well wishing in the world means absolutely nothing if you're powerless to actually affect change and improve someone's health. It was very hard for me to accept that I wasn't well. It's always been there in the background. Shut up! I can't believe shut, you said that at last. Up. It's always been there in the background. I've always been on medication. I've I've always, you know, had some funny thing going on with the heart um and i kind of like pushed it to one side i was young i was fit i was healthy um i don't smoke i don't drink i don't do drugs um and so on and and there's no reason as to why i should have anything like this and i was able to get my fitness levels and keep them so that in a way i was maintaining that level of health but then it it started to de- deteriorate rapidly. Eight years ago, yeah. saw a decline. Yeah, and I think I was confronting it more and more every single day. I was realising it, it it wasn't good. I wasn't right. I wasn't feeling right. A lot of the time, I wouldn't tell you. I put it down to the menopause. And you didn't tell me because you knew I would get worried. You knew, yes. knew I'd push to, to, to bring us back. You knew I'd push to... And I didn't want to, yeah. I talked about you, you guys reinventing yourself. And I sort of want to touch on this because yeah. I think it, it, it says something about you guys as far as your creativity and your resilience. You came back. You've got your place that you're staying in right now. And Lisa's going through her, her medical procedures. Yeah. Meanwhile, you guys come up with something completely different that has to do with photography. What is that? <laughs> um, well, we've, we've both fallen in love with photography because obviously it was, it was one of the main ways that we could share our journey. Um, and we were looking at we were looking around for ways to pay the bills, and you know one of the one of the things we both learned is that if you can earn some money doing something you genuinely enjoy, then, then it does make things an awful lot more enjoyable, more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, we came up with um, a company name called Living Lens uh, Photography, built a website, and basically started teaching people how to take better photographs. Um, um, and that sounds very strange. Oh, yeah, we just teach people how to take photographs. But we learned the hard way in that we... We took we, so many bad ones. <laughs> yeah, we did. Uh, you did. Um, we we learned the hard way. We learned right from scratch. We're not trained photographers. And I think that's why that we're able no, to teach easy. people with very... Simple techniques, simple terminology, so that people aren't frightened. Cut out all the cut out all the jargon. Cut yeah. out all the all the fluff that 
surrounds photography. Um, You're talking the technical aspects, you know, yeah. that we get into is when we learn something still, like this. You still need that. There is a, there is a de- there is a degree of the there's a degree of the technical stuff that you can get away from, but I I. I I've been on a few courses. I wanted to see what other people were doing. And one of the things that struck me straight away was that there was there was an overemphasis on the technical side. Um, you know, I'd, I'd, you know, I remember watching YouTube videos and thinking, well, this person is obviously very passionate, but I don't even understand the words they're using. I don't understand the vocabulary they're using. So I don't understand the lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the old adage, adage, you know, if I ask you for, you know, what's the time, I don't need you to tell me how the watch is made. <laughs> And some of the best lessons I've learned, um, I was stood next to a photographer that turned out to be someone very famous I didn't know at the time in Yosemite National Park. I was taking photographs. I didn't really have a clue what I was doing. And I looked over his shoulder. He was taking the exact same shots, but his shots just blew me away. Um, And he said, well, change this setting and change that setting and this and that. He didn't tell me what the settings actually did. But he gave me he gave me a foundation, a platform, um, and those settings changed my photography instantly. Um, so we do beginners, intermediates, advanced courses. Um, editing. Uh, we teach editing as well. We do a little bit of uh, technical stuff. Yeah, well, you have to understand a little bit of it, but we don't go overboard. So we do a little bit of classroom um, elements, and uh, and then we go out and do practical sessions. And it's the practical sessions that I I love watching people because you can see things dawn on their you faces. You can see them have these light bulb yeah. moments and get excited when they they show you the photograph and they go, oh wow, look at this! It's the first time I've been able to do uh uh-uh. uh. And then we go back and we analyze the photographs and and the and the other people that are on the course, we all sit down and talk about the photos and, you know, did this work out as it wanted to? What was somebody else have done, etc. And it, it's a very and then we begin and then we begin to edit. Um, so our, our biggest deal is really getting to a point where we're looking to improve someone's confidence. Most people that come on our workshops aren't looking to become photographers. They just want to take better photographs that they can share online with friends, family, maybe print a few articles, maybe print some stuff up. Um, so I think our approach is fairly realistic. And, and we do um, it in a beautiful, beautiful location yeah. in Wales at gorgeous food and it, it yeah it's, it's an idyllic setting and everyone has always said when they, when they finished the course that it was it was a learning weekend but it was just fun as well and they've made new friends and that's that's for us that's what it's about um what do you do with that when you when you if you decide to to get back on the bikes well, well funness thank you should mention well to know at least not the part of the reason we we thought about this was that well, if we have if we have a um, if we have a system, why can't we teach it whilst we're out on the road? Why oh, can't beautiful. we teach it online? Yeah. We can do classes, but yeah, you you rock up in a you rock up in a new country, and um, basically you do a, you do a a photo walk, but you do a photo ride. And a photo walk. It might be an hour. It might be a day. Hey, come and join us. It's X amount. And uh, come and join us and we will teach you how to take better photographs. You can do any anywhere in the world. You've got your photography business now. You, you're, you're sort of semi-settled, at least for the time being. You were, I guess you were 18 years. 18 years on the road? Was that what it was? I think sort it was of? 17. What? 17. 18 17. sounds good. Okay, so, so 17, whatever. <laughs> it's so long, it's ridiculous. But, but I mean, so 17 years on the road. Do you, do you press the pause button at this point? I mean, are you going to start adding again when you get on the road? Have you, have you, have you stopped adding? Um... 
it, see, it's strange. I think for, I think for a lot of people, the the whole continuous journey thing um, was what what they were hanging the hat on. It, it, for us, it was never. It was just a market. It was just a marketing thing because it just separated us from anybody else. When you're trying to, when you're trying to talk to sponsors or you're trying to do something. Um, I mean, there's no way it can be. It can be classified as continuous anymore because no. you know the pandemic put pay to all of that. But we would like to continue and achieve the goals that we had originally set out. Which was a hundred to reach 122 countries. So we've still got 42 yep. countries to get to. And we are still intending to reach Antarctica, our seventh and final continent. But there's no, there's no time scale for that, especially no. if we have to, you know, if it's no longer continuous. There's a lot more logistics to think about. In fact, I think it makes it more difficult because um, when it's continuous and you're just hopping from one country to the other, uh, you just overcome visa issues, transportation, etc. But if you are returning to a base... Or um, even if you know you have the potential just to take the easy way out, mm-hmm. return mm-hmm. to a base... Suddenly, there's yeah, that. It does change. There's things, that potential yeah. that that wasn't there before. Yeah. That variable that wasn't an option. Suddenly, do, do you is. think that will give you more confidence? Not that you're lacking it. I'm, but um, <laughs> <laughs> more confidence. Um, no, I don't think so. I, I actually, I actually see it as a distraction. Mm-hmm. Um, but having said that, I do think that there is a sense of peace. Um, that can be drawn from the knowledge that look, if if the shit really hits the fan, we can take a time out because we have somewhere to go and be, mm-hmm. somewhere to go and exist. Mm. We have got a roof over our heads. We have got we have got internet. Um, and maybe we can we can actually do what we always wanted to do, which is eventually write that book concentrate more on the photographs of each element of the journey as opposed to struggling and oh yes 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 we'll we'll, we'll get this we'll get this scene too and you never do and we, we've we've sat here in the small office that we have and we've looked at photographs that we have never we've never opened since the day we took them no wow and it's it's almost like doing the journey all over again you're talking about the the book. You're, We're talking about yes. the book the that book. everyone keeps emailing and saying, "Okay, when are we going to get the, the book?" book? <laughs> and okay, they say the book, but I mean, there's there's no way we could put our journey into one book. I mean, it's 17 it, years. It's It'd be series. like War and Peace, exactly. That's interesting. You bring up the the book and the and the whole your story, so to speak, your your adventure story, at least. Let me ask you this: from all those years on the road, what are the two most momentous occasions that stand out? for you guys, good or bad? Ooh. Momentous. Oh, they're easy for me. No, no, it doesn't have to be, you know, in any particular way, just something that, that really made a difference, maybe really changed you guys, changed the way you saw things. Um, for me, it has to be, it has to be Simon breaking his neck. It, it's, it, it, that was, that changed the I trip. I did not expect you to yeah, say that. No, that changed the trip for me realizing that I didn't have any superpowers and I was human. It could be <laughs> exactly. And I wasn't in short. Yeah, you weren't right. in short. Right. Okay, um, good chat. It, it it could, wherever you are in the world, any any day can be a last day and that you really should stop your bitching and moaning and make Just the most of it. Yes. Yeah. Um 
yeah, and just get on with it. And there was, there was no reason we didn't, it didn't need to rely upon anyone else to get us out of what was a terrible situation. Um, and we were able to do it ourselves. And I think that strangely, it, it boosted my confidence, um, I mean, yeah. I'm meant to be the optimist. This is sounding the opposite of yeah. pessimistic here. Yeah. So I, th- I think that that was one major, major one for me. Um, oh, gosh. You take one now. I'm trying to think of my other one. Um, I I think I've mentioned this to you before. There was one very clear moment, in, and it was the second day in the Sahara when you know, I realised I was on this bike and I was, I was, I was having this adventure that Lisa and I had been dreaming of for so many years and we'd sacrificed for and we'd gone through Scandinavia and gone through Russia and gone through, gone through Europe. But suddenly here I was in this alien world in the middle of the Sahara on a bike, just thinking that I was the coolest guy in the world. And then this flash of blur came past me like I was stood still, like I was stood still. And it was Lisa. I mean, she, she came past me at probably 80 miles an hour and I've never felt, I've never felt that degree of, of pride in, in somebody else. And again, we're not parents and I'm sure every parent knows what I'm talking about. You know, you, you watch your kid for, score its first goal or first touchdown. And I just remember going, oh my God, we're actually doing this. We're in the Sahara. We, we, this is terrifying and this is fantastic and this is overwhelming and this is just this is just everything I thought it was going to be and more in terms of the sensory experience. Um, um, and at and, that moment, do, yeah. does it does it change you, the way you look at things? Do you all of a sudden become more, well, invincible? No, I think you... Invincible, no. In fact, quite the opposite. I was terrified. Um, but I remember feeling for the very first time utterly and truly alive and in, yes. in the moment. I think it's a, it's a moment of at peace with yourself that you know you are where you should be and you're doing what you, you should, should do. do and you're doing it with the person who you should be doing it with and it, it, you just have this feeling of immense... Clarity. And... And satisfaction is it's like that big. Ah. Okay, it's simple. It's a it's a it's a moment of of pure joy. I wasn't in that moment. I wasn't worrying about everything that could be and whether the plans I'd made were or weren't going to work out. I I wasn't worrying about whether the mistakes I'd made in the previous day, week, month, year were going to catch up with me. All of that was just non-existent. I, I felt in that moment a degree of clarity, of pure joy, of, of mm. exhilaration, of pride. Um, everything else just melted away in that moment. Now, I am going to take that back, though, too, because you, you have a very positive uh, uh, story there, and, and I... It, looking back, it's me saying about the Amazon, but I know it sounds weird, but I had the same feeling in that we were right to do what we were doing. At, at that same oh. time? Are you talking about in the Sahara? In, no, no, I'm talking sh- about w- in the Amazon when Simon had his accident. Oh, I and, see. In the Amazon, uh, yeah. that, that Well, we got out and you were in hospital and you told you had a broken neck, but I had this, thank God we have been doing what we have been doing. Because if everything goes wrong right now, you have had 
such wonderful experiences we've been doing what we want to do on our own you're talking about when we got to Sao Paulo and I got my diagnosis in the hospital and it was well that that but that's just a case that's just a case of wow I have no I have no regrets yeah. at the choices I've made. Mm. And that I think is a rarity. Yeah, but many people will get in a situation like that and say, I never yeah. we never should have done this, we never should have left, we never should have no. you know probably life's too short for that kind of attitude. No. I, I think I think and this is gonna sound a little a little pious, I think so much of of what we do and how happy we deserve to be and how much joy we may or may not have in our lives, I think we take responsibility for. And I think to a large extent, it is perspective. Yeah, with the right perspective, you can take the crappiest of circumstance and and turn it around. That doesn't make the crappy circumstance any better. But arguably, I think that it's down to each of us to determine a particular mindset and... If you're somebody who who likes staying at home and playing it safe, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that as long as you are doing it for all the right reasons and as long as you are doing it understanding that do not look back in 10, 5, 20, 30 years time and regret. Mm. I would much, this is cliche as hell, regret the things that you have done, not the things that you'd wish you'd done. Mm. That's a good saying. I'm not sure it works in all circumstances, but, but uh, no, I, I definitely get what you're saying. Did you guys always think that way? Was that um, no. sort of the mindset of you guys before you left the trip as well? Absolutely no, not. No, absolutely not. Yeah. I think we have both become a lot more relaxed, a lot more forgiving, a lot more giving. Um, I think we're a lot a more lot confident. More accepting too. Um, and and that's the trouble. I think we're confident and capable. Before mm. I was just cocky and annoying. Yeah, you mm. were. I yeah. think I, 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 that's I what attracted have, you I, to. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 no, I mean when we first got together, I was twenty-one. I mean, no matter how confident I, 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 I was just cocky. Well, you were actually twenty when we first met. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I do think, you think that, that comes with all travelers? I hear it a lot with travelers, and that's why I ask, with people who spend a lot of time on the road. Does, does going out and putting yourself out, and I suspect it does, but uh, putting yourself out, pushing your boundaries, going into the, the, the zones where you're uncomfortable, does that make you that stronger, more confident person that sort of maybe even knows what you want in life a little more? I, I would think, like to I say think, yes. I think some, not all. But yeah, we have met a few where it has had the reverse effect. Yeah. Like where they come uh, out shell shock, where they, they, they deal with something yeah. and then yeah. afterwards yeah. they're saying, you know, that was just such a terrifying, awful experience. So, yeah. so it's, yeah. it, isn't it perspective though? Uh, like in hindsight? Um, I think, I think it is perspective. I also just think it's, you know, that, that, that individual's physical and mental makeup. makeup mm. um, and, and obviously our, our individual makeup is both, nature and nurture i think it's a culmination of all those things i think travel tends to bring out both the best and the worst in people that is probably already there it just Um, intensifies it it does well that brings me to ask you for as far as travelers go is a traveler born is a traveler learned is a traveler made Ooh. I think I think a, I think a traveller can be made. I think a traveller can be learned. I mean, we were we're very different people now than the ones we set out. And there's an argument that yes, but you're just older now. Um, 
I think I think you can I think you have to learn to allow the experiences of travel to change mm. you and to know that that's okay. But you have to be willing yes. to learn. And mm. I think you have that, to be you have to be willing to be to understand you're going to yeah. be wrong a lot and you're going to make a lot of very bad mistakes and and and, and silly choices but and, that's just and part just of accept it. and learn from that. It it's Again, we have seen some travellers that have not been able to learn and it has become too much and and they call it a day um, or it's not what they expected. And, and we were talking earlier between us before we came on to chat to you, Jim, about social media. And I think it it has so many pluses, but there are also some negatives. And I think it's it can be putting forward, say, a rosy glow over a lot of traveling that goes on. And so people's expectations are set so very high when they first set out and and, and when they get their first knock or their first problem, they don't know how to cope with it. Well, this is not what I read. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I, I think, is that happening more and more, do you think? Yeah, I think, I think social media is fantastic because it gives us a chance, gives us a platform to, to share you know your passion, your you what what turns you on. Whether it's playing an instrument, whether it's you know travel, it doesn't matter what it is. It's it's a great platform. The downside with social media is that there's so many voices wanting to be heard, and there's so much content out there that it, I think also to some degree it trivialises everything mm-hmm. because we we now we now just swipe on to the next the next oh, picture. Was- well, well, we 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 blame social media. I mean, not in a way. Yeah. And we talk about it like it's like it's an abstract thing, but it's really it's us. It's it's just it's all us. us. It's just communicating, and, and the, the communications yeah. become so easy. And there's a competition. There's no doubt, and that's built in through the companies that run the social media. Sure. They they build it to be a competition, and that's so that's what you do. You you show you don't show the realities that you don't show. Nobody wants to see it. I mean, how many jokes do you hear about people photographing their food? You know, uh-huh. especially early on with social media, nobody wants to see it. So you're almost compelled by the by the nature of the beast to show your best stuff, to show your best life. You know, which and- is exactly why you should come on a photographic workshop. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying. I just saw it in, and because it, it all it all comes down to the uh, the pictures. Um, take really good pictures and um, and get more friends and more likes. So come on, of course, absolutely, <laughs> Lisa. You didn't you didn't say your second one. Your second significant thing. Ooh. Oh gosh. I can I can um, get, I can I can hint at one. Oh why? It'll this, be it'll be a negative. A negative again? Well, that's unusual for me. Yeah, you, when you I I remember what? your father passing. Oh away. yes, I was going to say that, but yeah. that is very that's a very low period of time when my father passed away. It made me seriously think about whether or not I was doing the right thing. Um, all I wanted to do was get home. Um, which is something that I always said and discussed with him that I wouldn't do um, because he would say, well, you know, if one of us dies, we're dead. There's nothing you can do coming back. But I, w- I was thinking about coming back for my mother and to be support for her. And of course, we did come back. Um, but it was it was the realisation that you, you your parents are always there, aren't they? They're always there for you. Right until they're and not. And then suddenly they're not, and you just take it so much for granted. Well, he, he wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't. He wasn't a sick man. He literally no. went outside. He'd had his heart surgery many, many years before. He went outside to uh, trim a hedge in the garden and died. And just died. And it was a terrible, terrible shock. Um, and it, 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 but 
in a way it brought home to me that what I was doing was right because I suffering similar cardiac issues um, to the ones he had. None of us know how long we have. I was suddenly, well, yes, he's passed away and I'm not there and that made me feel terrible and guilty and all the feelings that come rushing in. But also in the back of my mind, it was, we've made the right decision in what we're doing. Because, because looking at what happened with your dad and reflecting on your own life, yeah. you're thinking yes. if it happens to you, at least you feel like you've you've done something. I'm not yeah. sure if we're going to get a chance to feel anything afterwards, but yeah. And, and yeah. You, you did say earlier, and you you recognize that any day can can be your last day. Well, I would hope so. Um, a, a little less these days because <laughs> of the treatment well, no, that I've no, had. And, and in a general sense, I mean, I think I think that's a good thing for all of us to realize because that's something that I use to sort of center myself is to yeah. remind myself that hey, I might only have twenty years, or I might only have two days or two hours, you know, and two hours. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what are we running at? What time is it now? Um, but uh, you know, you, you have no idea when when the end is. None of us do, and and it's it's sort of good to recognize the fact that that we will go at some point and then it mm-hmm. sort of makes you look at life just a little bit differently, maybe a little bit uh, softer um, yeah. look at life. I think, I think, it, I think yes. it makes you look at the time scale of, oh, I'll do this next year. I'll I'll do this eventually when I have more time. I, I None think, of us have more time. None of us have more money. I think that's part of our acceptance as to how our lives abruptly changed uh, when the pandemic hit and the whole world closed down. Not something that I ever, ever imagined that we would ever see. Or the zombie apocalypse. It was quite, quite horrifying and amazing and everything all rolled together. Um, But to sit back and go, okay, well, that's happened. We can't fight it. Let's make... How do we make the most of it? Yeah, how do we make the most of it? And I think that has come from being on the road and having having to adapt... Um, and being being comfortable and, and satisfied with the decisions that we've we've had to make whilst we've been on the road for the last seventeen years, some have been uncomfortable decisions going away from uh, um, parents who are aging and exceedingly good friends, etc. But in lots of respects, it's made us closer to everyone because then the time that we do have is more intense. That's, that's, yeah, that's horribly true. I think that's most, not, I some, think, that's I think, not <laughs> something I thought of before, but no, you're right. The time we do spend, we, we did spend with family when they came and saw us mm-hmm. was, was much more intense. Mm-hmm. Quality yeah, time. Right. And I think a lot of our friends would have just got sick to death of us had we been here for the last 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> Absence <laughs> makes the heart grow fonder. <laughs> So what does the next 10 years look like for you guys? What do you think? Oh, I hope an awful lot of laughing, laughing. Um, I don't know. I mean, this, this year we're, we're, we're back on the, uh, we're doing some events. Uh, we're hosting some stuff for Harley Davidson, believe it or not. Uh, we're doing uh, a couple of we're festivals. Not, we're not riding hard. We've got our good. first, we've got our first um, photo exhibition <laughs> in the UK. So suddenly, so this, I mean, this, again, I, it's important to get excited about the small stuff. I've never had a printer in the last 20 years. Suddenly I've got a printer. Well, strangely, and I'm not either. We're producing, <laughs> we're producing our own photographs for an exhibition um, up at Ragley Hall at the ABR Festival. So, yeah, certainly getting back out there and reconnecting with the motorcycle world um, and then past that, I think, the next, the next big thing on the to-do list is get our asses back 
on some bikes. Not having bikes is is killing us. Metaphorically it, killing yeah. us. Is it a shifting gears thing for you? I, I mean, it sort of sounds like that, and not in a bad way. Uh, it sounds like a, a bit of a shifting gears where you're you're just going to be doing things a little bit different in the coming years? Um, like, you're, you're just not going to go jump yeah. on the bikes and just start traveling again and do the same thing. No, but, but what, what, what we want to jump jump back on our bikes and get traveling again. It's just that rather than traveling for, you know, four or five years and then, you know, doing, doing something else for two weeks, then we might be traveling for... A month through through Morocco, we might be traveling for six to eight months through South America again. I would like to uh, use China, Antarctica. I would like to use it to return to certain places that we always said we would, yeah. if we ever could, um, and to to complete the 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 up there to the hundred and twenty one um, countries that we said we initially were going to visit. But it doesn't have to be continuous. I, I would like there to take it to There are some big opportunities be... that pop up. If we don't have to travel, if we know we're going to travel to one location or to one continent mm-hmm. only, we haven't got to carry as much kit because you just take the clothing, the kit and the gear you are going to need for, for the upcoming yeah. weeks or, or months. Um, and, versus and, and, having to move house every single day with everything time, you own. Concentrate more on on the more in depth and getting to know the country. And we have always done that. That's why it t- took us so long to get where we always wanted to. Um, but to spend more time photographing certain elements and to be able to spend uh, days, if not weeks, in in, a, in an area as opposed to uh, getting to the next country before the visa dates terminate, etc., etc., or before the seasons change and we're stuck somewhere in the middle of winter. Weather and visas were always our two biggest pressures in terms of onward travel plans and itineraries. If you can, if you can adjust those or move them to one side, knowing full well that... You know, you're going to be putting your yourself or your bikes on a plane or a boat to return somewhere. That removes a huge chunk of that pressure and opens up opportunities. So I see that it will be a combination. It'll be a combination of travel for travel's sake. Yeah. A combination of riding because we love it, especially we've got the fitness back. But age is also coming into it as well, um, and the photographic side of things. Being able to enjoy beautiful countries, um, stunning scenery, and um, record and, and record share it properly. that. Yeah. Hey, to wrap this up, I, I just want to ask you one thing, and maybe you can both give your opinion on this. When are you too old to do what you're doing? The minute you dis- the minute you decide you are. Yeah. The minute, yeah, and I, 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 I genuinely don't think there is an age. Um, you think it's I mean, all it cerebral, be, n- not not body? No, I think a lot of it is body. I have to say that because of how I have felt in the last eight years. There are things that I I have not been able to do, and that's because my body has let me down. Um, the so, minute you're not willing to take the chance. Yes, to a certain degree. I know. Um, yeah, because as maybe, you get older, you take less chances because you know there's certain frailties to do with age, you know. You do, actually, yes. Yeah, and I, I think now talking as an older lady to a younger husband, I think you have to take... <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, I have, my 
I have changed. Did our relationship just change in that moment? It really did, wow. yes, you young whippersnappy. Not, it didn't become <laughs> creepy at all. <laughs> You're yet to hit that mark where you suddenly go, oh, I can't pick up that heavy bike anymore because of my back and my okay, neck yeah, and my know, arthritis. On a, yes, but on a sensible sensible answer to Jim's question, I mean, I remember meeting Simon Gandolfi, who I think was in his late oh, 70s, yes. early 80s. Yes, in India. In India. Yeah. I mean, it was so stinking hot. Oh, he definitely, I mean, Simon's a lovely guy, but he definitely wasn't healthy at the time. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I, it, my answer, I think my answer stands as and when you decide that, I think it's a matter of confidence. I think it's a matter of deciding that you, you know, the negatives, you know, outweigh the positives. Um, and I think, I think that changes no, from person think- to person. <laughs> The physicality of riding a bike is, it, I mean, it, it's its very demanding on your body. We uh, know that because yeah. of all the aches and the pains and we were... Yeah, but Jim didn't say how old do you think is too old to ride no. across the Sahara, but just jump on a bike and travel or just travel generally. And I think as you get as you get older, as, as the money increases or decreases, as your resources, emotional, cerebral, physical, ebb and flow, you accommodate those those resources and you you realign your expectations and what you want out of travelling. I think we just need more rest. Mm. I think we need more rum. More rum and rest. <laughs> Simon, Lisa, it's been great to sit and talk with you again. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Jim, it's an absolute pleasure, my Always friend. fun. Simon and Lisa Thomas. Their website is toridetheworld.com. We've got links to their photography business and more in the show notes on our website, adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and you the listener thank you very much for being a part of this Hey, you know, one way you can help the show is let other people know about the show. Share it on social media, let your friends know about it, and also go to iTunes and give us a review. Of course, I'm asking for a five-star review. I'm hoping you're going to do that or wherever you find your podcast. Give us a review. That helps other people find the show. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can do it. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Hi, this is Charlie Borman, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.